When reading passages such as John 15 and Galatians 5 concerning fruit, I am ever more aware of the need for Christ, not just daily, but every moment. I realize the work he is doing is not my own doing and in my own power. We can perceive fruit as being personally known rather than Christ being made known by us, testifying in word and deed. Bearing fruit isn't in name alone and getting the Christianese right. No, fellowship is vital, and apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And herein lies the problem. We think fruit is cultivated by us. So when the world or even professing Christians make statements such as not responding to someone who has no fruit, we need to ask if the fruit they believe to have is from abiding in Christ. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Subscribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Subscribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Subscribe. John 15 is a favorite passage of mine and one that alludes for many of us to intimacy or fellowship with Christ. And us women can be guilty of viewing the scripture through romance-colored glasses, can't we? But John 15 isn't about romance. John 15 is about fellowship leading to fruitful spiritual maturity and talking about those that actually know Christ or born-again believers versus those that know him only in by name, such as Judas. Judas would be an example that we could glean from in understanding an attachment to Christ in name only, but really not having fellowship that leads to true transformation that only God can do and cultivating fruit that only God can cultivate because we actually abide in the vine in John 15. So I want to read a little bit of John 15 to you, the very first part, uh, beginning in verse one, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's helping them to understand about this relationship that he has with them as true believers. John chapter 15, verse one begins, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, when we read about John 15 here in these passages, which it's very interesting to to point out for one thing, this is one of the seven I am's in the gospel of John, when Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, because when I was looking through some commentaries and looking up what this word means, in scripture, I found some interesting things to share. 
it, it's really interesting to read through this because you start getting a, a, a picture here of an analogy and understanding the importance of true fellowship or intimacy with Christ. But every branch in him that does not bear fruit, he takes away, which many scholars tend to believe there's one of two ways to look at this, but most scholars tend to look at it in this light that when he talks about those that do not bear fruit that are in him, he takes away. It's not talking about lifting up that branch, but it, many believe that it's talking about removing that branch because that's uh, an individual that knows Jesus in in name only, that there's an attachment by name only. But at every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that there may be more fruit. It was interesting as, as we were reading on through there when he talks about he is the vine and, and we are the branches. He wants to make sure that those of us that have come to faith in Christ, that it is clear you can do nothing. I can do nothing apart from Christ. He is the vine. We are not the vine. He is the source of it all for us to have life, to have true eternal life, to, to be able to even bear fruit because uh, just a branch in itself cannot bear fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And the fruit that he wants us to bear is the fruit that testifies of him as we're going to see. So when we read this passage, this helps us to see our great dependency upon God and upon abiding in his word for fruit to even be cultivated. The true believer, one who abides in Christ, is not merely attached to the vine as what we were just talking about, about every branch in me in verse 2 that Jesus says that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Those that are attached in name only, those that know the, the, the quote, Christianese and know the right things to say or maybe people that feel like, well, I do everything I'm supposed to do. I go to church on Sunday. I read my Bible. I pray. I, I do all of these things. I give, I, I help the poor. I, you know, I can uh, make a checklist and I can, I, I do all these things and, and they may all be very good things, but it all goes back to, do you know Christ? Has he, has he saved you? Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know the reason why Christ came? Do you understand the word testifies of him and that this relationship that you're to have is not in name only? It's not just say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian and I do all these things because of this, but then there's, there's no fruit in your life that really bears witness that you really belong to him. I hope that makes sense. Because sometimes, we'll get into this in just a minute, I think that there's a misunderstanding sometimes that we all have of what fruit really is and what our perception of fruit in a worldly mindset, in a carnal mindset sometimes, and even in our culture, is not what the Bible says is fruit. The one who abides in Christ is not merely just attached in name to the vine. That branch will be fruitful because the vine brings forth fruit from its branches, I was reading through some some resources for this when I was looking up the about these passages in John 15 and even in Galatians 5. Those are the two I want to really hone in to, on today. And there are other passages that you can go to that, that talk about fruit, and, and I'll mention a couple of them. And I encourage you to actually do that in your own study time in, in Bible study uh, for yourself to go to these passages and to begin to study and to look at these and to really 
understand what fruit we are supposed to bear as Christians, that we don't do this in and of ourselves. We must abide in Christ. We must know him in in such a way in the fellowshipping. And part of our fellowshipping is staying in the word and understanding what his word says. And we even see that in John 15 and verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, we could go into another discussion about what that means because some people can really misconstrue what that says and they'll just take the last part of verse 7 and say, "Ask Jesus said, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And it can be really twisted. You know, we can ask whatever, whatever our heart desires and he's going to give it to us. And really that's not what that's talking about at all. When you actually look at it, where it's really talking about knowing Christ and his word being in you because his word is in you and you understand his commandments, you understand his instruction, that you are going to want to pray things that are according to his will that have been revealed by the word of God and in his nature, and that you are going to ultimately desire Christ. When you pray, you're going to desire what the things of God. We have all taken scripture and made it say something it doesn't mean in order to to suit our own agenda or to suit our own thought or our opinion. And we must be willing as uh, good Berean women to go back to scripture and see what it truthfully says. So that way we can truly honor God. There was a one comment that I came across that said, we are God's husbandry. And when you start thinking about that, you know, God, when you think about husbandry, for example, husbandry is alluding to you that you're taking care of something. Even uh, when I was in veterinary medicine, one of the things I dealt with a lot with exotic animals was most of the time it was an issue with people's husbandry of that pet, meaning how they cared for that pet. There could be different aspects of that that needed to be corrected in order for the, the pet to have better quality of life. Well, we are God's husbandry, meaning that he takes care of us. You know, we see this in John 15. Again, when Jesus makes this analogy, it doesn't mean that we are physically a branch, but he's using this this talk, which is seen in the Old Testament. Israel is referred to as the, the vine. Jesus is now saying that he is the vine and the father is the vine dresser. And what do vine dressers do? They take care of the vineyard. They go through and they cut branches that are not producing fruit at all. They, they remove them. And then they see other branches that are producing fruit and they say, hmm, we need to do some trimming on this branch because there are things that are maybe draining the life out of it uh, that need to be removed, that need to be taken away. And so that way there's more fruit produced. And pruning doesn't always look pretty. Pruning is painful sometimes. Pruning is, uh, it's, it's not very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. But ultimately what happens is that fruit comes forth and even more fruit than there was before. Well, we can understand this analogy in that God does the same thing. We are his husbandry. And so as his children, as those that truly abide in Christ, not in name only, not in just this, this attachment, uh, but we are truly fellowshipping with the Lord. We know him because of our faith in Christ alone to save us. And in that, he is sanctifying us. And by his spirit, we are being sanctified. By his word, we're being sanctified in order to know in the ways that we should walk so that we glorify him in all that we do. And there are times that we are producing fruit. We don't feel like we're producing fruit, but we don't produce the fruit in and of ourselves. 
and this is a trap that we'll fall into is we'll think, well, you know, I'm the one that's producing all this good fruit. Well, God is actually doing it. If, if Paul talks to the, the believers in Philippi and he is talking to them in the very beginning in Philippians one, and he tells them, you know, he that, that began a good work in you shall bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, God is the one that's doing the work in us. Over and over, we are reminded of this in Scripture. It is God who is doing the work in us. We are not doing this in of ourselves. God is doing the work in us. He began the work, and He tends to us, and He He leads us. He guides us. He instructs us by His Spirit so that we know the ways in which we should walk. He leads us and guides us by His Word, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the Holy Spirit. So these are things that we we can meditate on and understand in order to know how to honor God and glorify God and to know what it means to to bear fruit. And listen, none of us have arrived. And even in, in looking at this, I'm reminded more and more, God, I need you every day. There's some fruit that looks like it's really not <laughs> not doing as well as it should. It's not thriving as well as it should, but we know that God does things well. And so we just, we, we bend to his will. We bend to his will and we ask God to continue to help us and understand that, that we're going through this process of sanctification. So the, the God's husbandry, I thought that that was a really beautiful way to describe that and help us to understand that God is taking care of us and he's cultivating things in us. He knows what's best for us many times, the things that we don't think are best for us, but ultimately are going to produce the fruit that is desired, that is going to, to testify of him and glorify him ultimately. Sometimes we want the easy way to produce fruit. There, there is no easy way to produce fruit. And so part of that yielding fruit is understanding we are we are under God's care and he's going to cultivate things in us that are going to lead to glorifying him. I found some commentary from Matthew Henry on, on dealing with John 15 I wanted to read. He said uh, about John 15, he said, we must be fruitful. From a vine, we look for grapes. From a Christian, we look for Christianity. This is the fruit, the Christian temper and disposition, a Christian life and conversation. When talking about unfruitful branches, Henry said, They are tied to him by the thread of an outward profession, though they seem to be branches. When talking about pruning, he refers to it as a purging, and that this is guaranteed to those who are fruitful. And it, it caused me to think about, you know, again, when we think about us being God's husbandry, we don't prune ourselves. Because if we did, then our tendency would be to think, well... I can look at me as a branch and say, oh, I'm producing enough fruit. I'm good. But the vine dresser or God disagrees with that because it's his vineyard. It's his husbandry. Again, once again, it belongs, we belong to him. And so he is the one that is actually doing the purging, doing the pruning. I want to go back to verse seven again. When talking about verse seven as well, uh, Matthew Henry said this, and I thought this was really, again, a beautiful way to put it. He says, quote, it is in the word that we receive and embrace him. He's talking about Christ. He says, and so where the word of Christ dwells richly, there Christ dwells. If the word be in us at home, then we abide in Christ and he in us. Colossians 3.16 is a scriptural passage to go to that will help us to understand the importance of the word dwelling uh, in us at home, so to speak. Colossians 3.16, Paul said to the, the believers at Colossae, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And he goes on in verse 17 to say, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love how Matthew Henry said in in this uh, in commentary about verse 7 that where the word of Christ dwells richly, there Christ dwells. And it helps us to understand and solidify even more the importance, the the necessity of staying in the word of God. We cannot know God well unless we understand and so unless we read his word and stay in his word and also not only that but having his word written on our hearts to where we have meditated on we have chewed on it and pondered on it and thought about it and and take and really understood it um as a believer in Christ to where it is written on our hearts and that we, we call it to remembrance in order that we may glorify God, that we understand his ways and we know how to walk in his ways. You can't walk in his ways if you don't know what his word says. And if you don't know what the truth of, of his word says, then his word testifies of Christ through and through the word of God testifies of Christ. So we can't have this again. We, we can't afford to look um, at Jesus through these romance colored glasses to where we have a false perception of God. Yes, he loves us. And yes, that there we do have fellowship and intimacy with Christ. But we also understand he is our Lord and Savior. We reverence God. We don't romanticize God in such a way that we bring him down to a level that he is doing what we want and that he is at our beck and call and that he is fulfilling these uh, emotional needs that we have or these other desires that we have. And if he doesn't do this, then then he's really not that good. If he doesn't answer our prayers the right way. And you know what I'm saying? We can go in so many different paths with this. It's really, it's not, it's not biblical to, to do the things that we think about God um, when we get to this level of romanticizing him. We have, we do understand that God loves us. We abide in his love. And we have to understand what that love means when we look at scripture. But we're also really understanding that in order to to dwell with Christ and abide in him, we have to be in the word. We have to be reading the word of God that is testifying of him. And I love when he says, if the word be in us at home, then we abide in Christ and he in us. It's a be- It's a beautiful way to put it. The other passages you can think of too um, that will maybe helpful. Romans six twenty two is uh, referencing sanctification, which um, is the fruit of new life. So Romans chapter six verse twenty two says, "But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end eternal life." And sanctification is leading us on the path of, of holiness with God, meaning that we are being changed. We're in a continual progression or process of being changed while we're in this world. And we as Christians know that we are in a now and not yet that we can look at. We know that we are uh, born again, that we have eternal life. We know that we are going to be with Christ. We're not yet in the glorified state with him after our life is over on this earth. We are going through this process of sanctification where we're being changed. And again, we are not doing this in our own power and in and of ourselves. We are submitting to the will of God. We are submitting to his instruction. 
And he is doing the work in us to change us and to conform us to the image of Christ, to lead us, to guide us. I talked about the things that the Holy Spirit does last week in the podcast, and I encourage you to to listen to that, and I think it, it will be helpful. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to look at that for a few minutes. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, I'll talk about why I even did this podcast, because there was a, a statement that I saw that kind of got me thinking about this and hoping to put some of this in perspective. And uh, when you go to Colossians 1, Paul is talking to the believers at Colossae, and in verse 9 he says, And so from the day we heard, he's talking about their faith in Christ, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we can see here that, you know, it is very important. The the Bible obviously talks about fruit. We understand already that we are God's husbandry, that he is going to cultivate fruit in us if we are true believers, not in name only, but truly abiding in him, truly abiding in his word and walking in that sanctification, walking with the Lord and being led by his spirit, which we are now going to talk about based on Galatians 5. Now, what made me meditate on this, the meaning of fruit in in scripture and wanting to really have a thoughtful, more understanding of it. There was a statement that I've seen before. I've seen it a number of times. And whether it's from someone who is worldly or someone who is a professing Christian, the thought or the statement goes like this. Why are you responding to someone who has no fruit? We don't know (laughs) the inner thoughts of someone when they're posting something like that. You can kind of get a good read. I would argue on someone when they're, when you look at other posts that they've done and see, kind of maybe get a good understanding of where they're coming from on that. And uh, I, I heard that in some of the circles that I ran into from time to time. Why are you, you know, this person has no fruit, you know, just basically just don't even give them any time. And The argument could be when someone says a statement like that, it could be perceived as this. Their understanding of what they say fruit is, is based on self, meaning it's based on, well, they don't have the number of followers that I have. They don't have the clout that I do because of the people I know. They don't have the empire that that I have built from my name and from being known and all these things that I do that are that people view as fruit and people do it in the world as well that aren't believers they tend to look at people in business that have uh, massive wealth or that have big companies and they have a lot of employees or they have big buildings and you know they have all these different these things that they've built as their own personal empire so to speak and the world can look at it in such a way and say, look, this this is, they could say, oh, this is my fruit if they were talking about it that way. But usually they don't talk about it that way in a worldly sense. But as a Christian, when you're talking and you're a professing Christian, let's just say that if you're a professing Christian and you're saying, well, you know, you don't need, why are you even responding to someone who doesn't even have fruit in their life? First of all, the question that should be asked when someone makes a statement like that is, what do you mean by fruit? Because we need an understanding of that. If someone makes a statement like that and they are professing believer, then we need to be asking, what do you mean by that? What do you characterize as fruit? Are you going by what you've done, by what you believe is fruit, meaning everything that people can see that, that 
draws people back to you. The the number of followers you have, which means nothing, by the way, on social media, there's p- plenty of people that are not saved that have millions of followers. That means nothing. That at the end of the day, when you stand before God, that is not going to be what he says. Well, look at that. You had all these followers that such fruit you, d- you cultivated. No, actually, he what he's going to judge us by is what scripture says. And his uh, standard, his standard of what fruit is, not our standard. So that's the first question. If someone makes a comment like that, and I would urge you, and as um, as a woman, I, I can uh, attest to this, is that there can be times that I am, I could be emotionally driven by something. And it's very easy to do that. And I have to remember to keep that in check. And that doesn't always happen. But sometimes as a woman, I can get very passionate about things and emotionally driven. And I have to remember, that's not fruit. That's not what I'm supposed to be cultivating. I need to continue to to submit myself to God and to understand what his word says in what true fruit is and bearing fruit before the Lord. And so a statement like that doesn't really sound uh, like a Christ-like way to talk. As some, again, as someone who was in these circles, I kind of have a good read on what, what this means when someone says this. They're really talking about, when they say fruit, they're not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. They're not talking about biblical fruit of, uh, of what God talks about. They're talking about, you don't have what I have. You know, people know who I am and I have built all these things and this is fruit. That's not fruit. That's going to burn up is what's going to happen. That's going to burn up when it's tested by God. It burns up. It doesn't last. What what the things that last are eternal that matter to Christ. And so that's something to think about if you if you see that. And I want to encourage you as well. Don't be quick to like something on social media because it sounds catchy or you feel like, oh, that's a burn on, on you know, I could uh, really relate to that. And that really puts somebody in their place. You really need to step back and maybe even think about, well, what does that even mean? Is that a, is that a biblical st- statement to say? Is that really testifying of Christ? Or is that really pointing back to self? Is that really exalting self? I want to know what that person means by fruit. It, anybody that says that, I want to ask that, what do you mean by that? If you if you think that someone doesn't have fruit because they don't have the same influence that you do in a certain field or a a certain uh, technology or anything like that, then I have to ask: Is that do you understand what fruit is based on Scripture? Scripture tells us something different and what fruit is and to who it testifies. So we're going to read Galatians chapter five verses sixteen through twenty three, and I want to read those several verses and not just twenty. Uh, 22 through 23, because we need to see uh, what what Paul is saying in context. And he's really encouraging the Galatians to walk by the Spirit. They had had Judaizers coming to them and that were trying to give them another gospel. And, And Paul even warned them about this in Galatians 1, that another gospel was being presented to them. The Judaizers were coming after Paul had already ministered to the Galatians and had established the gospel with them that they, uh, that it was by grace alone, by, by, in Christ alone, by faith alone in Christ alone, uh, essentially that they were to walk, that it was, there were, there were no works that they could do that were going to earn them salvation. 
that we're going to keep them in God's good graces. It was by faith alone in Christ to save them. Well, the Judaizers were coming in and they were saying, no, you have to follow the law of Moses and you have to be circumcised. That was the big thing is that they were coming in and saying you have to be circumcised. And in Galatians 5, prior to verse 16, Paul is talking to them about this and he's trying to help them understand that they have freedom in Christ and not to turn again back to the law, that um, that if you do that, that you're going to be severed from Christ and that you'll, you will have fallen away from grace is what he tells them in verse four. And he goes on to to tell them the understanding there there is no benefit, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised in the flesh, there is no benefit. Your faith in Christ is what saves you. What Christ did is what saves you, not what you do. What Christ did is what saves you. And that, that brings true freedom. It's not anything you can do that brings true freedom. You have freedom only in Christ and that you are to serve others through that freedom and you're to glorify Christ in that freedom. And he goes on in verse 16 and he, he says this to the, to the believers in Galatia. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Don't we all relate to that? Because we know we still live in a fallen world. And even though we're believers, we are not encapsulated and immune from the the sin in this world. But we have uh, been delivered from the power of sin in our lives by the Holy Spirit coming to indwell us and helping us in that sanctification process to be led by the spirit. And, and also in, in doing that, we have to, again, go, we have to know what the word of God says. And Paul goes on in verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. There is a website I recently came across and doing some Bible personal Bible study. It's called BibleRef.com, and I encourage you to uh, check it out and see if it helps you in your personal Bible study. It's really good. It actually goes through, and you can look at verse by verse, and they have gone through and will give you um, a, a summary of that verse and, and to help you in, in your understanding of that verse in a from a biblical standpoint in the, in the context that it was written. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says here, What should the lives of those who are free in Christ look like? In other words, how should Christians live if we are not under the law of Moses? Paul has answered that question in two ways so far. First, Christians must not squander our freedom in Christ, which is freedom from under the law, by serving only ourselves. That leads to a laundry list of sinful lifestyles. Instead, Paul has written, those in Christ should allow God's spirit to lead them into powerful service to others motivated by love. And Paul goes on to make a new list to the believers in Galatia. And this describes what those in Christ should expect to see flowing from their lives when they let the Holy Spirit lead them. Paul calls this the fruit of the spirit. It's helpful to understand this is meant to imply a single fruit. 
And it makes it clear here, the Greek term is singular. Sometimes you hear people say the fruits of the Spirit. It's actually only one fruit. Uh, It's not listed as nine separate fruits, but nine characteristics of the single fruit of the Spirit. In Christ, we should expect to see all of these characteristics showing up together as we give God's Spirit control. They come in no particular order or rank or schedule. Paul begins with love. And this is famously described as selfless love or an attitude that considers other people more than than ourselves without expecting anything in return. God's spirit in us produces God's unconditional love in us for him and for others. Joy in a biblical sense is best described as an inner confidence. This allows us to declare to our soul that all is well with us now and forever because of our place in Christ. Supernatural peace comes as a result of trusting God and is not dependent on our circumstances. Patience is the ability in the spirit to wait on God's perfect timing, even when our personal agenda seems to be failing. Patience includes controlling our response to circumstances. And this contrasts with the error Paul gave in verse 20, translated fits of anger. Scripture uses the term patience to mean an ability to endure hardship, to weather the storm. Kindness may be simple, but it is not always easy. It includes concepts of being good and gentle. In the spirit, we can be kind to anyone, even those who are challenging and offensive. Goodness is the ability to do the right thing in every circumstance, and it implies a moral decency. This describes someone respectable, honorable, and righteous. Faithful is a crucial word that simply means as faith in the New Testament. This represents a kind of endurance driven by trust. In the spirit, Christians can keep going in the right direction, even when we don't fully understand all God is doing. So this all came from BibleRef.com. I skipped sentences where it talks about the Greek words, but I encourage you to check out this website. If you're ever doing a Bible study or this might be a very helpful resource to you. When we looked at Galatians 5.23 on the same website, I wanted to share with you the last two characteristics, gentleness and self-control. So gentleness is not to be understood as weakness or a willingness to let others always have their way. Instead, this is the supernatural ability in the Spirit's power not to demand control or be extreme in our responses. Rather, we can submit to God's control over whatever situation we are in. And this can imply someone that is humble and tranquil, not frail or fragile. The final characteristic uh, is self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And this is an important one because it helps prove that God does not intend His Spirit to overcome our will and possess us, turning us into robotic servants. In the context of our relationship with Christ, self-control is the supernatural ability to submit our will to His leading in our lives. A Spirit-controlled person is always in full control of his or her own mind, body, and words. This contrasts with Paul's condemnation of sins, such as sensuality and impurity from verses 19 and 20. So again, all this came from BibleRef.com that I just read to you. Those are not my personal thoughts. Those are from BibleRef.com, but it was helpful to me. And as I was reading it, I thought there is so much more work to be done in me. I don't know if you hearing that are encouraged in that or challenged at the same time of going, I can see some of those fruits being developed in me but they are not mature. 
and and there are moments that they seem that they're doing very well and then there are moments that I, that really it seems like the fruit is it, it, that it's a it's a it's a work that's going in and there's some pruning going on if you will there's some pruning that will take place and there's things that are dying us the sinful desires that we have the sinful ways that we have of wanting our own way those will be pruned away that God will if we're truly abiding in Christ that those things are going to be removed by God to help us and there and there that may be that we're put in circumstances that are going to help cultivate that fruit and some may not like hearing this but if for example if we're dealing with a physical ailment in our body that may help us to develop um patience or long suffering it may help to cultivate gentleness in us towards others uh, love towards others that we can can love them and that we can um, understand when someone else is suffering with a physical ailment that we that we love people in that sense and we don't look down on them because of that they're an inconvenience to us and, and such that we begin to to understand and see see people in a different light through that that may help as far as the patience that may help us to continue to to point back to relying on God and to understand his ways and and to develop patience in the sense of maybe there's natural things in our lives that you know once could be easy for us but now we're having to continue to understand our reliance on God and maybe that the physical ailment slows us down and we have to have those things cultivated out of us that would that would breed contention and such that are really not going to honor God. I, I'm telling you, I read through Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and I'm convicted. I, I really recognize in my own life where fruit is really needing to continue to be cultivated in those different aspects that I have to repent of time when I get frustrated with things, frustrated with myself or frustrated with my children or frustrated with, you know, the person that's that's out in the world and they're acting nasty towards me. Then I have to um, recognize there is when I when I react instead of respond or if I don't respond in the way that is testifying of Christ. I have to be quick to repent of those things and ask God, God, help me to be led by your spirit. Help me to call to remembrance your word once again. I want your word written on my heart so that it quickens me to where I am the ever more um, understanding that the fruit of the spirit is being cultivated in me and that it's your work that's being done and that I'm going to glorify you in all that I do. And when I don't, that you're pruning that area that needs to be pruned so that more fruit can come and that you are ultimately glorified. This is the fruit that scripture talks about. When we have statements that are made, such as, why are you responding to someone who doesn't even have any fruit? Again, I would go back to, okay, what fruit are you talking about? This is the biblical fruit that we are to be producing, cultivating as believers in Christ. And this cannot happen without us abiding in Christ and his word abiding in us. You see? We have this, this is something that must be evident. And in order for us to walk in, in the ways of God, and in order for us to have the fruit cultivated that only comes from abiding in Christ, because he is the ultimate source of this fruit, then we have to understand what his word is and, and, and what it says. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, I would encourage you to, to look at these and look at study on this in BibleRef.com and other sources that you can go to to get more, get a better and more thorough understanding of it. And then to pray and ask God to, to help to in those areas where you need fr the fruit cultivated even more. And if there's pruning that needs to take place. 
so that he he is glorified and we want to testify of Christ. We want people there should be an, a change that's within us as born again believers of the things that we don't do. We don't want to we don't fulfill the works of the flesh and then when we um, are led by the spirit that these are the things that are cultivated in our life, not the the fruit that the world produces in things that would identify more as a diseased tree. We want to testify of Christ. Over, I know I keep repeating that, but it's so important to repeat it over and over. We want to testify of Christ. If we, we want to do that, then we must understand what his word says. And we also recognize the fruit that we are to bear in our lives that only comes from, the, from God doing his work in us if we truly are abiding in him. There's one last thing is Matthew Henry, uh, he also said this in his uh, commentary on Galatians 5. He said, the best antidote against the poison of sin is to walk in the spirit. And I think that's a, a good place to end on this and to, to ponder all of this um, in our dependency, our fruitful dependency upon God. Because if we truly do not abide in him, we cannot produce the fruit that is going to testify of him. And we must remember that on a daily basis. And I, ladies, I would encourage you to continue to stay in the word, be a good uh, student of the word, be a good Berean, and make sure that you're understanding the word properly. So that way you can glorify God in all you do. And I know that we can we can be in situations um, as a stay at home mom now for several years and having had worked out in the uh, secular world for, for a number of years and uh, worked in as a professional in the medical field, now coming to be a stay-at-home mom for several years and, and homeschooling our daughter and when our son gets old enough to homeschool him. And I, even as a, as a stay-at-home mom, as a parent, it can be difficult. As a stay-at-home mom, it is it has its uh, own individual challenges when you're home with your children every day and to continue to ask God to help us to cultivate that fruit in our lives. And there are days, I wish I could tell you that I had a lot of days that I could uh, testify of that that everything went well and that I always testified of Christ, but I'd be lying to you. There, There is so much that I see when I read scripture that I go, I am really, I am myself fall short so much of this. And this encourages me and challenges me. This is why I need Christ every day. This is why I need the Holy Spirit to lead me every day. This is the desire of my heart of, of really wanting the things of God, meaning that I want Christ to be exalted in my life as a wife, as a mother, as a disciple of Christ to the, to where I am pointing back to him and glorifying him in all that I do. And when I've recognized that, then I realize I do belong to him. The Holy Spirit is quickening me to, to recognize the, the areas, the error, the sin, the fault in my life that needs a course correction and that needs repentance and that needs to, to, uh, to submit to the will of God and to submit to the pruning so that more fruit can be cultivated and to know that it in itself it's a beautiful journey and i don't want to put on these romantic colored glasses as i said in the in the beginning and to look at god in such a way that uh, that i'm putting it in a worldly way of understanding who god is but i want to um testify of him so that he is exalted in in this life that i have on this earth and in preparation for eternity with him uh, as again i hope that this has helped you today 
I hope that it gets you thinking about the fruit of the Spirit and also considering just in general, when you see stuff in, on social media, when you talk to people that are saying certain things, really catchy phrases or catchy statements, it's a good practice, who, it doesn't matter who it is, but it's a good practice to step back and think in a biblical sense, what does this mean? Does this testify of Christ? Do I like this statement because it's biblical? Do I like this thought because it's biblical? Or do I like this thought because it's lifting up self and it's creating a fruit that really is not testifying of Christ or it's not producing any fruit at all that's testifying of Christ? It's really just a fruitless statement that's being made that ultimately is about carnality and about worldly or, or being arrogant and prideful and haughty that, that does not point back to to the Lord. It does not glorify God. It's, it's glorifying self. And we all can grow in that capacity of remembering. I'm not here to glorify myself. I'm here to glorify God. I'm here to point back to Christ. I'm here to point my children back to Christ, to, to disciple them. I'm here to, to serve my, to serve my family, to serve my husband, to serve my children, to serve my community, and ultimately to serve my God. That's who I'm serving first and foremost. And then to love others more than I love myself and to, to desire that fruit of my life that is not self-seeking, but is serving others and lifting God up above all things. So enjoy the rest of your week. I look forward to being on here with you again next week as we cover another topic. Be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesubscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.